Our sermon passage for this morning is John 18, 28 to 19, 16. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside of them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I shall release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, 
We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. <clears throat> oh Lord, our God, your people are gathered around your word. Lord, we're praying for your spirit to teach us. We're praying for your spirit to open our eyes to see you and your kingdom. We're praying for your spirit to help us to love you more than the world, to be committed to your ways more than the ways of the world, and to seek your honor above all honor. Oh, Lord, we're, we're pleading and we're asking. We're hoping that you would work now. Spirit of God, move, I pray. I plead, move among us, move in our midst, stir us and fill us with faith and hope and love. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This passage is often one that we consider during Holy Week or, or on Good Friday as we think about um, the death of Jesus to take away the sins of the world. Indeed, as we just sang, his wounds have paid our debts and purchased our pardon. And this is the good news. And this really is the main thrust of this passage. They delivered Jesus over to be crucified. And in his death on a cross, he was fulfilling the plans of God. He was taking away the sin of the world. He was establishing forever the kingdom of God. And he was redeeming his people. This is the main thrust of this passage. But this main thrust is delivered to us in a language consistent with what we've been considering. It's delivered to us in the language of the kingdom of God. So at Redeemer, in our current sermon series, we're considering the kingdom of God. Not because it's a fun topic. Actually, it's a, it's a relatively frustrating topic to consider because there is no one quintessential passage. This is the definition of the kingdom of God and go and do likewise. So, so we must then look at multiple passages that teach us about the kingdom of God and we must pull these threads um, to understand this theme that really runs throughout all of the scripture and really explains to us this. What, for what reason did Jesus come to the earth to bring to bear the kingdom of God? What's God doing in the world? Building the kingdom of God. What does God want from us, his people, to join him in his work of building his kingdom? You see, a lot of our desired questions what, that we have, are answers to questions that we have are rooted in this, this teaching of the kingdom of God. So what we're going to do in our series is we're going to grasp onto six very clear passages about the kingdom and, and, and answer this. What, what truth is this passage delivering to us? And at the end of our series, we'll have this six-pronged chair of these are the the, the, the strength, the pillars 
of the biblical teaching of kingdom. So week one, we looked at the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6. Jesus commanded and taught his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Last week, John chapter 3, to enter or see the kingdom, you must be born again. The kingdom is for those who've been born through faith in Christ by the work of the Spirit. And today's passage tells us this, that the kingdom of Jesus is neither built nor sustained like all the other kingdoms of the world. The kingdom of Jesus is unique in that it's, its authority and its power and how it's sustained doesn't come by force or by coercion, but rather it comes by the work of God through his son, sacrificially redeeming his people. If we're looking for power the way the world offers power, we will miss the kingdom. The work of the kingdom is unique because it's rooted in Jesus, our sacrificial servant, redeeming king. So let's look at what the passage tells us. If you don't really want to listen to me talk and you just want like the bare bones takeaway, verse 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not have been delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. This is what we're wrestling to understand today. To understand it, our first point, if you want to take notes, talking in circles. As we read through this, what we have is an interaction between Jesus and a man named Pilate. And it just feels like they're missing each other, right? I mean, to put it like in modern language, it's like, guys, you just need a counselor. Just need a therapist to help you understand what each other's saying, and we could work this out. Except that's not really the point. But they are talking in circles. So at this point, Jesus has been arrested. He's been taken before Jewish trials. And now he's being brought to a, a Roman authority named Pilate. And the Jews are asking for Jesus to be crucified, for him to be condemned to death. They want to be rid of the problems that he was causing. Now, Pilate, verse 33, or sorry, verse 28 says, then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas, that's Jewish power, to the governor's headquarters. And it's gonna tell us that his name was Pilate. So Pilate is a Roman governor, so think Roman Empire, over an area. That area included Judea, which included Jerusalem. And so I think it's important before we dive into the words of the conversation to understand how that would have played out, okay? So to the Jews, Pilate is the physical 
representation of the imperial power that is holding God's people, Israel, in captivity. Pilate represented Roman authority and he represented Roman power to which the Jewish people longed to be delivered from Pilate and ultimately from the Roman Empire that he represents, okay? So, so to the Jews, Pilate is a bit of a nuisance that they're praying that he'll be eradicated by the king of the Jews. Now, we got to flip that over. To Pilate, the Jews are merely the local threat to Roman power. I'm assuming that in all portions of the Roman Empire, there were local threats to their power. And Pilate knew that there were and had been numerous men and numerous groups of men who would rise up to, quote, free the Jewish people from Roman rule. Now, parents, have you ever fought with like your two-year-old? I'm using like fault like this, like, like they're coming after you and you kind of just put your head, your hand on their forehead and they wail and kick and don't get within two feet of you. And then at some point they get tired and they give up. You know that kind of fight? Or am I the only one? Come on. <laughs> if you've never done that, you should really go home and try it. It's loads of fun. But to Pilate, the Jews are a local threat, and occasionally, from time to time, groups of men rise up to free the Jewish people. Free the Jewish people. Pilate's not really threatened by it, but he knows his job is to squelch the rebellion, and he knows his job is to show his power, the power of Rome. This is why Jesus and Pilate seem to be missing one another. Pilate's saying, are you a king? Meaning, are you one of those insurrectionists who's going to be a nuisance this weekend? And Jesus is refusing to answer the questions because he refused for his work to be put into that category. Okay? So they're using the same words to talk about different things. And it appears to go like this over and over and over again. So, talking in circles, part one begins in verse 33. Pilate, to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, did you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Now, guys, remember, John chapter 12 was just six or seven days prior. John chapter 12, when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, they waved palm branches and laid them on the ground and they shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? I guarantee you Pilate heard about that. So Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? 
But Jesus refuses to just say yes because he doesn't mean, it wouldn't mean what Pilate is saying. What have you done, says Pilate, verse 36, Jesus, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting so that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. So Jesus is basically saying, the fact that I'm standing here in front of you peacefully without an insurrection behind me tells you that I'm not up to what all these other folks have been up to. Verse 37, Pilate says, so you are a king, question mark. Jesus says, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who listens to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate, what is truth? Friends, people always use philosophical categories to avoid conviction and the point. But Jesus says, my kingdom's about God's truth and my voice is the path to God's truth. So Pilate takes Jesus outside and says to them, I find no guilt in them. But there's this custom where every year I do you a favor and I let somebody go here on the Passover. So what if we just make Jesus your favor and I let him go? And they cried, not this man, but Barabbas. Barabbas was a robber. Now, I want you to put your finger under the word robber. And I want you to see that little number there beside it, that footnote. Everybody's Bible has one, right? Now go down there, and what else can that word mean in the original language? The ESV says, or an insurrectionist, meaning one of these guys that's going to tear down the Roman rule with a physical insurrection to free God's people. So Barabbas was one of them. What do the people say? Now, now, to their credit, they don't realize the conversation that's been going on indoors, okay? But, but notice what the Bible's revealing to us. They said, Jesus inside says, look, I'm not one of these earthly war, fight, build, tear down, make a new physical domain kind of guys, that's not what I came to do. You don't understand it if you're thinking in those terms. They take him out and what do the people say? No, we don't want him. We want the guy that thinks in those terms. We want a kingdom of this world with vindication now, with power now, with authority now, with physical freedom now. We don't want this. We want Barabbas. 
So Pilate takes him in, has him flogged. puts him up in front of the people, verse three of chapter 19, and says, hail, king of the Jews. And they all struck him with their hands. Pilate says, I find no guilt in him. The chief priests cry, chapter 19, verse six, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate says, you do it. We can't do it, but he must die. So they go back in and Pilate and Jesus talk again. This is talking in circles part two. Pilate looks at Jesus and he says, do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Like help me out here. Answer my questions. Jesus says in verse 11, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. So now Jesus has not only said, my kingdom's not of this world, but he says the authority and the power of my kingdom, it doesn't come from Pilate and it doesn't come from Caesar. And there was no greater earthly power in that day than Caesar. He says it comes from something greater. It comes from God who reigns over all things. That's the authority of my kingdom. So then, Pilate takes him out again, and they cry. This is chapter 19, verse 12. If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So you see what they're doing? They're saying, look, Jesus is, he's just another insurrectionist. So when Pilate heard these words, He brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement. Now it was the day of the preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Now, we read over that quickly, but hear that. We would rather have Caesar than what this Jesus is up to. So in the flow of this story, you have two visions of kingdom. One is earthly. One is tangible. One is about manifestations of power and authority and prominence and blessing in the here and now. It's about getting our acclaim now. One comes by force. It comes by manipulation. It comes by coercion. And over here you have Jesus who says, no, I'm building something that's eternal something that's everlasting, something that's not limited to this world. It's not limited to physical space and time. And it's not 
built through coercion. It's not built through having the most power. Rather, it's built through dying on a cross for you. It's built through self-sacrifice. And the people of God who, for whom this kingdom was intended to come said, we'd rather have Barabbas, we'd rather even have Caesar. This passage is so stark that some critics of the Bible call John chapter 18 and 19 anti-Semitic. It's not anti-Semitic. It's honest. And we wouldn't have done any better apart from Jesus. So the question before us in this passage, when Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, what was he saying? This is what he was saying. My kingdom is not built like the kingdoms of this world are built. They're built by displays of power. They're built by fear. They're built by coercion. My kingdom's not built like the kingdoms of this world. Second, he's saying my kingdom is not temporary like the kingdoms of this world. Caesar will rise and Caesar will fall. Pilate, you will rise, you will fall. My kingdom will last forever. And my kingdom is not human in nature, but it's eternal and spiritual and from God. Now, friends, this is where this sermon might go from interesting to angering. I don't mean it that way, but I, I have to push this. I have to push it. This wasn't the Roman people rejecting Jesus. These were the religious people. These were the people that had Torah. These were the people that had writings. These were the people that had prophets. These were the people that had the promises. And somehow their loves and their desires and their longings were so twisted up that on one hand, seven days ago, they knew Jesus was of God. And yet today, they would rather have Caesar and Barabbas and present temporal power and present temporal ruling than what Jesus came to offer. So I think the question that we have to put before us is do we want Jesus and the kingdom that he came to build? Or do we want Jesus and the kingdom that we want to build in his name that makes us comfortable? Because the kingdom of Jesus is something that's eternal. It's something that it has manifestations in the here and now. It has physical manifestations, but it's not merely physical. It's spiritual. It lasts forever. 
It transcends all reality. It's subjected to nothing. This is the question before us. Are we willing to worship a Jesus who's building a kingdom that doesn't exalt us now? Are we willing to worship a Jesus who's building a kingdom that might result in our present suffering as preparation for eternal exaltation? Are we willing to worship a Jesus now who's building a kingdom of strangers and exiles who might not conquer and dominate the land? When Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, he is questioning all of our assumptions about what we demand and clamor for in the here. And now, now I want to be really, really frank here at 1030, okay? I'm not pontificating about anything that's happened in our world in the last two years. I'm not. I'm just trying to preach the Bible. But we better believe that these words shape how we interpret all reality. And I'm just asking you to let the words of Jesus shape how you interpret reality and what you long for and what you pray for. But these are the questions we have to wrestle down. And these are the questions that as we consider all these teachings of the kingdom that we'll be pushed to wrestle with. So by way of application, that pushes us to our second point. A new set of rules. A new set of rules. Now, this new set of rules is going to be like, Jamie, we need to talk about that. 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 We're going to starting next week. So come on back. Number one, the kingdom of Jesus is not of this world. That does not mean that the kingdom of Jesus doesn't impact this world because it most certainly does. He said, it's here. And it doesn't mean that the kingdom of Jesus is not present in the here and now. It is wherever his people are. But it means that the kingdom of Jesus is not structured like the kingdoms of the world. It's not geopolitical. It's not nation state driven. You can't get a visa to it. You can't go in and out of it. It is different than all the kingdoms of this world. And it's not powered or empowered like the kingdoms of this world. And that pushes us to number two. Number two, Jesus said, if my kingdom were of this world, we would have come fighting. Meaning we would have sought physical dominance over you. So the kingdom of Jesus is not empowered like the kingdoms of this world. Again, I want you to see that this is what's being said here. Verse 36, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting and I wouldn't have been delivered over to 
the Jews. So if what I came to do was to tear down Pilate and to tear down Rome and to establish a free nation state, we would have come fighting. That's not what I came to do. Here's another example. Go back up in chapter 18 to verses 10 and 11. So this is in the garden. They've come to arrest Jesus. Now, John's gospel doesn't tell us that Peter fell asleep, but the other gospels tell us that Peter fell asleep. And so just trying to be funny, one scholar said this week, so Peter woke up between verses 9 and 10 and realized there was a skirmish and started fighting. That was supposed to be funny. You can laugh a little bit. But what the passage tells us is that Peter, when they were arresting Jesus, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Now, the cup the Father has given me is a biblical metaphor to speak to the wrath of God consumed by the Messiah to deliver the people of God from God's condemnation. But notice what Jesus says. Put your sword down. I'm going to die. My kingdom's not built by by the fighting. My kingdom's built by me dying. My kingdom's built by me sacrificing for my people. My kingdom is built unlike any other kingdom of the world. It's not built through displays of power and coercion and manipulation, but it's built through sacrifice and death and suffering and redemption and walking with me into truth, which pushes us to number three. The kingdom is a kingdom of truth. Verse 10, Pilate said, will you not speak to me? This is chapter 19, verse 10. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. In both services, I read the wrong passage right there. So bad. Chapter 18, verse 37. You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So the kingdom of Jesus is about God's truth through God's true son. What's the activity of the kingdom citizens listed here in verse 37? What's the activity? Listen to his voice. The citizens of the kingdom listen to the voice and the teaching of Jesus. Jesus tells us what to believe. Jesus tells us where to go. Jesus tells us what God desires. 
Jesus tells us how to respond. The children of God listen to the truth which comes through the voice of Jesus, our King. A challenge for us would be to take up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and get well acquainted with the voice of our Savior. We all might have some repenting to do. Can I take the might out? We all will have some repenting to do. Fourth, a kingdom with divine and eternal authority. That was chapter 19, verses 10 and 11. I apologize for the confusion. Jesus says this, look, my kingdom's not bound to this world. It's, it's, it's eternal. You, the authority over my kingdom is God himself. The, the authority over my kingdom is divine and eternal. All the other authorities in your world are temporary and they will fail, fade away, but the kingdom of God will last forever because it is divine and eternal. This gives us lots of questions to wrestle with. But for today, let's wrestle with this. Verse, chapter 18, verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. Chapter 18, verse 37, everyone who listens to the truth listens to my voice. In chapter 19, verse 10, my authority is from above. Friends, the Christ who went to the cross to free us from sin freed us from sin so that we could enter his eternal kingdom. He's our king. The people know the voice of their king. They follow the voice of their king. They live for the honor of their king. Let's be those people. If you're here today and you're kind of exploring Christianity or you're wondering how all this might fit together for you, the answer is this. It was the sin of all humanity that thrust Jesus on that cross. And it was the blood of Jesus on that cross that delivered a sinful humanity to be called children of God. 